Have you ever worried that you might be the cool kid you wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends? Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream, always so generic, more normal than your friends? Well, we've devised a test to put to rest your fears. There's no need to panic if you lend us your ears. Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard. Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nerd. Hey everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the It's Canon Podcast. We might be the only three people who aren't being sued by Epic this week. As always, we are your hosts, I am Boris, and we're joined by Phil. Hello, everyone. And Tyler. Well, pancakes. Oh man, what a week, what a week it's been. This is the podcast where we talk about all things geek, we talk about all things comics, all things toys, all things video games, all things TV, all things books, all things lawsuits, and all things Microsoft. And the best part of it all is, is that we're all, it's all in canon. What a day. What a week. We've done a lot of recording this week, and it's been a lot of fun. I don't know if these guys agree. I don't want to speak for them. Hashtag 2020. Always fun. So this week we have a lot of... Go ahead, Tyler. I was just going to say, the recording has not been the source of stress this week. (laughs) Exactly. It's been... What's the opposite of stress? Happy? Good? Fun? You stress. (laughs) That's right. This week we have a lot of awesome and interesting things to chat about. As always... We're going to split up this episode into two parts. Right now, you are listening to the news, all things news, from the world of pop culture. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be talking about, I think, one of the major stories of the week that we didn't have a special about. And that is the major layoffs at AT AT&T slash Warner Media that really hit DC Comics super hard. Now... I'm just going to, you know, we'll talk about it in the episode, but I'm just going to say it here. You know, I don't want to talk about, hey, XYZ person losing their job, because that's insensitive. You know, nothing's worse than losing your job, especially when you don't deserve it. Um, so, but what I do want to explore are all some of the news and the rumors. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about the the ethical decision of doing this and the PR decision of doing this, you know, 10, 13 days before fandom. We're also going to be talking about the fact that there are a lot of rumors and innuendo as it pertains to comic books and what the future of DC actually holds because a lot of people right now are speculating and wanting to speculate the fact that, oh, DC is done with comic books. That's not the fact, but they might be entering a new strategy of comic books. We're also going to be talking about DC Universe, that's the online streaming service that DC has, 
and how a lot of the DC Universe exclusive shows are now moving to HBO Max. And we're going to be talking about HBO Max in general. So that's the second part that will be out on Wednesday. But today we're going to be talking about all things news. And I think where I want to start... Actually, let, let's talk a little bit about us. Let's open it to us. It's rare that we talk about us. Phil, what have you been watching? What have you been doing? What's your week, geek week been like? Oh, it's... um. It's been good. You know, I, I've checked out that movie, The Gentleman. My phone started going nuts the other night because apparently it's on uh, Netflix now. So back in the day, I guess he used to be a big Guy Ritchie fan. And then I wasn't really because his movies became shite, to say the least. I just found them difficult to watch. Yep. I enjoyed Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and, you know, stuff like that. And then um, this this Gentleman movie crops up kind of got a different cast in the ter- in terms of there's Matthew McConaughey in there which I don't know how big of a fan I am of him as an actor but whatever you know he he does the roles that he does very well and uh, I checked that out and I was surprised to see that Guy Ritchie directed it produced it screen wrote it wrote it like he he was basically it was his movie so that was a lot of fun it was it was very much like the old Guy Ritchie stuff and, uh, yeah, I watched that power play movie last night and that's another new one on Netflix. It's kind of like super powery, uh, augmented by some kind of drug that people take and it gives you superpowers for five minutes and you don't know what your superpower is going to be. It basically awakens some kind of genetic code in you. So that was pretty good too with Jamie Foxx and, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, it was good to see him. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a fun movie. It was. It wasn't, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread for me, but it certainly wasn't a disappointment for me. How about you, Tyler? I think it was a very serviceable movie. I, I think it was good. I don't think it was great. Um, I yeah, I had a double feature at the the partner last night, and uh, we both were like, "That's a serviceable movie." It had a couple of pretty low hanging fruit un un unforced errors, for lack of a better way of putting it. They, mm-hmm. they spent too much time on certain things. Um, they yeah. seemed very self-conscious about, like, how do we justify these powers? When I think that, as a movie-going audience, if they'd just been like, ah, it's pills. Pills give you powers. Whatever. We all have been like, <laughs> yeah, okay. And they were like, no, but here's how the pills give you powers. And I, I found that actually hurt rather than helped. Yeah. Um, I think it justified the whole story with Jamie Foxx's daughter. Because it had to give her a role, you know what I mean? Like a purpose to be so valuable. I think they over-justified it, though. Like, I think they yeah. could have been, like, it came from her without being, like, oh, it... it they they go further into it than that. Mm-hmm. In that plot. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's two scenes that it's just... It's so unnecessary. Yeah. And so weirdly inconsistent. Yeah, but overall, I, I I agree with your take on it. Though it was it was a fine movie. You know, it was it was definitely one of the better ones for Netflix. Uh, out of all the big budget Netflix stuff that I've seen, a lot of stuff really is either in a niche market or really uh, misses on some big levels. And this one was like 
it was an okay movie for a lot of people who just like superheroes and stuff like that. I think that it's going it's just a nice new world to tell stories in. Very yeah, they definitely want to do more with that ending. Yeah, for sure. I thought that it was actually going to set up way easier for a sequel. In this, they could make it be a standalone or they could make a sequel. They don't really have to lean it either way. It can just be on performance and, and future budgets. But all things being equal, I expect a sequel. <laughs> Tyler, how about how you? How about you, Boris? Oh, sorry. No, you go. All right. Tyler, tell us. What else? Have you read? Oh, Tyler's going to go. I'm like, who's going to go? What are we doing? Uh, I, it's been such a weird freaking week. Um, I've been dealing with a bunch of technology stuff at home and a bunch of work stuff at work. Um, I don't know. If, we haven't talked about comics in a long time, but the speculators market has gotten weird. Yeah. Very weird. Um, and, and honestly, I think everyone kind of knows it's that. There's a lot of people who are stuck at home and they need something to do. Um, so it's been a lot of trying to track down titles now that they're no longer red hot and trying to manage what titles we get when they are red hot and try to figure out, you know, is this this comic is going to maintain the price or is this going to fall out right away and, and boris and i had the chat earlier this week about one of the dark one of the dark knights death metal titles that, that some stores were holding back and then selling for 50 80 100 dollars um which is less what i'm focused on because that one very much seems to be artificially inflated a bit like negan lives but i'm talking about your venom 26 which was I think for like it was like fifty bucks for like a week. I think it's now back down to ten. Is that the wow. issue where they um, give Venom a new power? Uh, twenty six is there's the new bad guy uh, virus. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's the there's, one. Yeah, that's pretty volatile of a of a spread. For yeah, valuation. Yeah, though this has been happening recently. Anytime, any sp- anything. Minor happens, especially to legacy characters. The price at release tenfolds, and then we yeah. see what wow. the market does. That's crazy. Yeah. Volatility. I mean, honestly, in in everything, volatility is way up. Yeah, like, I'm it's... a nerd, and I look at stocks, and stock volatility is through the roof as well. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, I, I'd liken it too because I'm used to back in the day like i get it there's certain issues where you knew stuff was going to happen to the price of a comic either early in the series or like you guys say there's some event and everybody you know basically starts hoarding that issue in anticipation of moving it along later on at some dream price or whatever and then the market may fall out but that's that's like spanning months if not years not right away but i see it a lot on Amazon when I'm after let's say uh, a Star Wars miniature or, or oh collectible where oh, I'm like yeah. oh wow look Luke has a Yoda and the Yoda sits on his back and then I go on Amazon and they want $89 for it yeah. and I'm like what the hell this is a $30 toy and then 
I'll come back and look at it after its release, you know, like, because that's pre-release or very early in the day. Yep. And then I get back to it and it's like, oh, here it is, $25. So if yep. you jump, then you get screwed later because you think, oh, Amazon's got it here. It's going to be impossible to find. And then it just turns out that it's just a supply issue. You know, they, they're just speculating yep. right off the bat. And, and, and speculators of all kinds have more time than they've ever had before. So, you mm. know, Tesla stock is having like up to 15% daily volatility, which for a stock is bonkers. Yeah, um, Tesla didn't they, to... they, they became bigger than Toyota financially for a they while be... based off of their stock. Oh my God, they're gigantic according to their stock. But you also look at it like I have a Funko Pop right there, one of my three. And it's, you know, one day of the week it'll be 50 bucks, one day it'll be, it'll be five. Like, who knows what's going on? There's, there's so many people trying to play prices that it creates these artificial markets. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's an interesting market, and I've been following this, especially on the comics side, the past few months because of the pandemic. And it will be interesting to kind of see what happens on the other side of all of this. And especially, you know, I like I was just thinking of exactly what you said, Tyler, in regards to buying comic books and how do buyers actually, you know, do that right now? Because it's so hard to really even estimate what book is going to be huge. Like, OK, so there's a book where if you don't pre-order, you're going to be SOL, like, um, you know, the three jokers, for example, you know, like if you don't pre-order that, yeah. <laughs> like I can tell you right now. Based on just the premise itself, you're going to be paying at least 80 to 100 bucks on release day if you didn't pre-order that. Wow. And it's wow. Already- How long does it hold that price becomes the question. That's yeah. the thing. I, I think that that book will hold on to that price for quite a while. Let's just remember that that book is already an $8 book to begin with. Um, yep. It's a supersized $8 book. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying it's going to go 10 times its price, which I think is, is actually underestimating, but I'm being very conservative on my, on my guesstimate there. Um, I think be- just because it's Batman, because it's Joker, because of the artist, um, you know, the artist who's, who's doing this, Jason Fabok, I don't think he's ever released anything on time. And no, 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 like, I'm not trying to say anything about him or his work, but his art is beautiful. Like it is, he's one of my favorite artists period. Um, but you know, just delay after delay after delay. This book has been in the making for five years, essentially since rebirth started. And actually even before rebirth started in new 52, when we got like the insinuations that there are various jokers around and versions of them. So, you know, this this has been coming for a really long time. So I think that, you know, everything compounded and put together, I think that it will cause for an interesting price for that book. But if you haven't already, you should go to your local comic book store and pre-order that bad boy because it's going to be a hot one 100%. Um, I think earlier in this week, and I'm just, this is straight from memory, Jim Lee was saying that they've already sold about 300,000 copies of that book just on pre-order do you th- alone. Do you think they can sell that many and it can maintain that price, though? 
that's the thing. We're going into early 90s territory. You know, um, X, Jim Lee X-Men number one territory. Where sure. you can now find it for 10 cents. And people yeah. want to sell it to you for like 15, 20 bucks. And it's like, no. I can literally go to an LCS in their long boxes mm-hmm. and pick out like 10 copies of this. I personally have five copies of that book still. Spawn number one is the exact same thing. Like, it's yeah. worth no more than when it came out. Oddly enough, and Sp- Spawn 50, Spawn 100, Spawn 200, yeah. Spawn 300 are actually market-wise worth more than Spawn number one. Go ahead, Phil. Well, it all boils down to basically production, right? Yeah. So if something comes out like Eastman and Lard's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, black and white, you know, number one, which they only made X thousands of copies for, yep. obviously the price is going to hold up and, and be there because of the scarcity. That's what really drives the price. All these other factors, like the artwork, the story and things like that, it really, you're just paying for scarcity. That's why, that's the part, you know, of this equation where it's amazing to me in this modern age where we're talking about this speculation market and having books go up to that degree on release when they can just print more, you know, and, and if they don't, it's them creating that market. And it's and funny. That's yeah, it's weird. It's funny because what I would do, because DC and Marvel, they're huge. They can literally print whatever they want at any point in time and send it to your local comic book stores and what they've done in the past. And uh, you know what they should do, in my opinion, what they should do more aggressively, but at the end of the day, they don't care about the second market. You know, they want to make their money with the LCS and now with, you know, whomever they're selling to, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, whomever are p- buying these books and are distributing the books to us. And that's... Yeah, it's the, just like used games. Yeah, it's you know, a that's practice. why they don't like resale markets. Exactly. It's, they want the money. Exactly. And th- what they've done in the past and what I personally think they should do more aggressively because it's a win-win situation for everyone except for the consumer and that's having a limited first print for your first print mm-hmm. and you know let's say 5000 units that like okay, that's insane let's just say you know 100,000 comics first print gets sent i know that's a low number but that's the whole point behind this and then what you would do is you know change up the 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 the, um, the cover a little bit or even have a yeah. whole new cover second print third print fourth print whatever however many yeah. prints that way you can sell that copy to the LCS stores and maintain that secondary market with a hot you know however that market's going to work and that kind of helps everyone in the grand scheme of things having said yeah, that that's I know the whole point of variance right yeah well I, that was the I, original point I of variance. Go ahead, Tyler. I super disagree with you on this one, Boris. I know you and, do. Um, and I, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I, I wish it had that simple of an answer. But having done the retail thing, even people who don't care about collecting and even people who aren't speculators, the, the value of the first print in comics has such an allure that it's been it's been pre-programmed to every single consumer. Yep. I have people who will never sell a comic and they still need their first prints. Yeah. 
and and it is surreal how much it's latched onto yep. because it's been built in this this premise and i think that you see it now unless it's something like something's killing the children where even the second print run becomes worth money as soon as you do a second print run and it says second print run on it no one wants it yeah and it can actually be more exclusive than the first print run and it's you know part of the fact this is all all an artificial market and this is all based upon active efforts to create an artificial market by multiple parties. I mean, Diamond loves there being an artificial market set up because all of a sudden, you know, six months later, they can sell the pre-graded 9.8 signed by whoever for 300 bucks. Yeah. And their production cost on that versus any other first print is negligible difference, really, right? Like, how much are they really paying the writer to sign it? And then... You combine that with the fact that a lot of comic book shops have built their entire, like their entire way of doing business around yeah. the speculator. Of course, look, I get it. I one hundred percent agree with you know that the flip side of that. That at the end of the day, you know, I guess I was talking more in the ideal world. That's how it would work. Oh. But the reality is, like you you said it. Like the reality is that it. You know, I know as a fact as well, and I've never been on the on the other side of, of, of selling to people. And that's that, you know, it's so ingrained in our brains that first print is so important and, and like valuable. And it's the only one that matters that, you know, it is, it's there. You know, you do have some runs where the second, third, fourth print do well, you know, but, and I know that it's, that's not the case for everything, but you know, you have all the number ones of new 52, you have walking dead, a lot of image books can get away with this more than DC and Marvel, you know, where people will go out and buy the second, third, fourth print of something like, you know, a black science, a deadly class, a walking dead. One of those types of books that are just like super huge. I think the other side of it though, is, is the initial print runs for those are, smaller than what demand is. But that's, that's, you know, that's my whole premise, that the initial oh, run yeah. is small enough, you know, yeah. and that, and I'm not, and, and that's the thing, like, I know that because it's Marvel and because it's DC, they can print as many as they want, you know, it, it doesn't matter to them. So that that's that's kind of the, fl- like, the the flip side of, of, of all of that. Um, one thing we've never really talked about is the whole grading book, um, you know, getting them graded, getting them whatever, slabbed, and the second market on that, as Tyler just hates it. Yeah. Yeah. I personally don't... Look, I don't collect books to to resell them. So if I were to get into the grading and to the slabbing, it would be for myself, and I can buy a frame and protective covering for the book and hang it up on my wall. But I know people who, you know, make a living by just grading and slabbing comics. Hey, it's it's a limited game, yep. in my opinion. It is. Because we watched 
all this stuff happened with cards. That was that was the big thing that I witnessed in the 80s and the 90s was just so much pressure about collecting those cards and which printing, what year, any reissues, categorizing. Then all the companies just started flooding the market with cards and it completely, you know, it was it was a, a capsule where everybody was like, oh, and they didn't realize just how many of these things there were out yep. there. And that's, you know, I'm looking at DC and Marvel with, with that statement, you know, a tops and OPG or whatever yeah. um, in my equivalent or upper deck. But I know that there's real nice things that do get made in limited runs. And maybe that would be something I would slab, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, the cards are funny because I want to do a little more research because I know that some weird stuff is going on in the card collecting world where... Um, I guess people who are active in that trading world kind of got burned recently, um, with some, I, I don't, I don't know the full story, but yeah, the speculators were recently burned on, on a new set of cards of collecting cards, NHL specifically. I can, I can point to many examples of people who found cards after someone passed or cleaned out an area of the house and their grandfather's cards were there, like the original Parkhurst, you know, tall boy cards and things like that. And they end up selling for virtually nothing. Despite the fact that you can bring them to your local collector shop, they say, oh, this card or this collection's worth X thousands of dollars. Getting that is nearly impossible. And I know Tyler will be able to speak to this it's really up to the comic store or the collecting store to know where that market is, but most people can't access it. Yeah. I would argue it's the exact same as art in that aspect, right? Your mm -hmm. capacity, like let's say, let's say Phil, a Monet fell into your lap. You have no idea how to get what that's worth. Yeah. Right. You'd have to go to someone who has the connections to the actual art world to figure out how yeah. to finance that. I think it's the exact same on a smaller scale. And the other side of it is like who bears the risk of sitting on stock because mm -hmm. for especially comics that are in the like 200 to 4,000 ish range, they'll sit on your shelf for years because you need someone willing to spend it. Yeah. Right. Like you have to find that, that, that person that has that money and understands the value. Yeah. And, and they are willing to sit on it on the gamble that it appreciates or mm -hmm. an inherent value. You know, if you're not a buyer and seller of the older stuff, if you're playing just the short game and you don't have either inside knowledge or the capacity for this to be your full-time job, I don't know how you make money on it. Right. That makes sense. Like, I, don't know how it's, I don't know how it's more than gambling, unless you have an edge of some kind. Yeah, and I, I know... And this is not reflective of the comic book industry in general, but I know that growing up and I've, I've grown up in a smallish town and we only had, you know, one comic book store. And I got to say that that guy ran it with a really short term outlook and he exploited kids. You know what I mean? Like he oh, basically God. would just be like, you know, turning stuff over 
for as high a profit margin as he could and buying it back for as little as he could, you know, and he just was constantly manipulating yeah. those those percentages. And it's off of kids who don't understand or even adults who are just trying to move stuff. You know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was a really dirty act and he trained, you know, another employee to take over the shop and that guy, he almost was broke and then he won the lottery and then he, he gave it the the shop to the part-time guy. And now he's thriving with it because of his outlook. You know, he, he's sitting there and, and doing the long-term outlook, which is what he figured out from watching where he was from. And he's doing quite well with it. So I'm very happy that it turned into a good story, but it yeah. was really weird to watch as a customer. Oh, 100%. And I, I mean, you know, the, the taking advantage of kids especially and being like, hey, buy this spawn number three. It's going to be worth so much money. I think that should be illegal. Yeah. Like, I think that, I think that every comic store that wants to sell, like, should have to have a poster up, being like, comics are only worth the ones going to pay, pay you for it. And, I mean, where I work, that's our thing, right? Is we say, like, this is what we're asking for it, and we're really transparent about, like, here's where we got that price from. Here's why we're charging 25 bucks for this. There's no hard sell. There's none of that. And we always say, like, who knows if this would be worth more? And for us the speculator market is a lot more the cherry on top than it is the bread and butter, right? Like it's our yeah. dessert. Um, I, I do think that contrary to Boris, uh, my dream for the comics industry would be to take a page and look at what Wizards of the Coast has done with both magic and with Dungeons and Dragons. And they have done everything they can with both those product lines to make them as accessible to the widest market as it could be. Yeah. And I think comics, comics writ large have never tried to do that, but Dungeons and Dragons is experiencing double digit percentage growth year after year for like the past nine. And mm -hmm. any other industry would like you, you go nuts for that kind of growth. Yeah. And, and I think that, all the speculating and all the resetting and all the whatever is really like, it's not conducive to growing the industry as a whole. Well, no, 100%. And what I think is going to happen in the future and DC is, you know, putting that, that jet pack on and letting this happen. And I think we're going to see an increase of sales in comic books, not because of LCS, but because you will be able to go to your local wherever store, not even a comic book store, and be able to pick up that DC book. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be on Wednesday, you know? And I think that with all the shakeups at DC, with the cancellation yeah. of various books, with kind of their change in the way that they're doing their universe, I think we're going to be seeing, like, you know, really good one-off, one-shots, um, hit the market, and they're going to be successful. Um, we're going to see less continuity, uh, but we'll, you know, that's more the conversation for Wednesday. But that's where I see oh, the future oh, yeah. going. And then, and you know, and and the the whole spark to that is you are making books more accessible to more people. You know, right now some people just don't want to go to an LCS, a local comic book mm -hmm. shop. Sometimes they aren't as open arms as they should be you know they see a hey, go ahead Phil. it's kind of like going to an eb games i'm sorry but 
my experience, the, the two are equal because you walk into any EB games and if the people behind the counter don't know you, if they don't know that you have money going into that business, they will not really embrace you as a customer. They'll help you for sure, but they're not, you're not going to feel like you're an insider, which is what they turn the jets on for. And it's always been that way with not all comic shops, but a lot of them, especially in these smaller markets. Where they just don't see the foot traffic and then they become very, they already have an opinion about you when you walk in. They're like, here's a guy who maybe collects off Amazon or whatever. He, he, you know, they, they form an opinion that isn't in the best interest of their store. And then they carry that until you prove yourself otherwise. Exactly. And, you know, and, and I, I agree with you, Phil, that's very common and it's such a short sighted thing because where we've done super well is I got moms and kids coming to the store. Yeah, that's and awesome. That's that's huge. And yep. we've had we've literally had older customers come in and be like, "Well, like, is that the market you're going for?" And I'm like, "Look, man, am I not making you happy? Am I not getting your comics? If they're here and also giving me money, like, why are you mad about that?" Yeah, yeah. You know what? It got to such a point for me that where I do. Most of my comic shopping is, again, either online, but the other times where maybe I want a physical book or something to put in my shelf, um, I'll go to chapters and buy a graphic novel of it, you know, with with eight or ten issues in there, and then I don't have to collect the freaking thing. I can just get the book, sit down, I can read it on the toilet, I can do whatever I want, you know what I mean, and not worry about mint condition or slabbing or any of this other stuff, and just go, this is my enjoyment. I still value it. I'll never sell it. Yep. And it's going on my shelf. Yep. And that's exactly what I mean about, you know, DC having more one shots, more one offs, more graphic novels, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, where anyone can just go pick it up, not worry about, not care about the condition, the whatever, where they can just enjoy these characters for what they are. That's, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Like, honestly, all the speculation, and maybe it's just my age, I don't know, and, and life experience with this kind of stuff. But I'm finding more and more about all this collecting and rarity and scarcity just appeals to me less and less. I just want the content. And I just think that what a great world it would be if the content was what things were judged on and valued on. You know what I mean? Where they say, hey, look, this show deserves a second season or this this comic deserves to go on because the frickin' writing's great and people are interested in the characters and all that. Like, I, I, I just get a little bit sickened by the idea of just masses and masses of people trying to get books and probably will never read them. Yep. I get sickened at the price of some books because there Oof. is a printing issue. And that's the reason why it's like 10, 15 times its original price. That is what sickens me. But yep. that's it. All right. So that's Hey, kind I'm of... curious because we were talking about stuff that we've done this week. And I know Boris did something this week that he stepped outside of his lane a little bit just due to the chatter. And I know... I, I don't know. Like, I signed up for this thing where anytime Disney Plus releases an episode of Muppets Now, yeah. a Muppet DMs me. All right. What? Yeah. A Muppet Go DMs me. Service. 
it's just this silly little automated service that Disney does just to let you know the show is on. You sign up for it. And I thought, this is funny. I'll, I'll try it out. So it, it's kind of cool because it's not a DM as much as it is like a a tweet that's at you. You know what I mean? It's not a it's funny. So this week was Gonzo. And I was like, all right, this is this is pretty fun. And I've been watching the show and I know we've talked about this show. And the first episode, I was really unsure about a lot of things. And I think I said, I really like the idea that it was like this variety show esque uh, reattempt at the original. However, three episodes in, I can now say that the show isn't very good. No, no, the we've got the controversy with Kermit's voice. All right. That all set aside. Something I realized this week is the show has no cohesion. There's no underlying issue. Like, I, and I started thinking about this because Boris pointed it out to his credit. And, and I immediately, it crystallized in my mind. What's wrong with this show? And it's arguable what's wrong with Disney. You know, but I, I don't really want to get into a huge beat up on Disney because that's low hanging fruit. But they've really mismanaged the Muppet franchise. And in the sense that on the old Muppet show, part of the charm was that you saw behind the scenes. There was a, a narrative throughout a story, uh, the story of the show, and it linked all episodes together. You know, Kermit was fighting to get audience in the in the crowd to make sure the owner, that evil English dude, didn't close the theater down. They were constantly in peril and jeopardy. Everybody, you know, it was it was an even bigger issue in the movies that made the movies link to the show about saving the theater. And even when Disney did the reboot with Jason Segal, that was the underlying thing. You know, we had the evil corporate guy going to buy the Muppets, say that he's going to preserve it and get the oil from under the theater. So it was kind of like this binding thread for the Muppets. And then it all went wrong with Muppets Most Wanted, uh, which was just a victim of bad writing. And now the show. And, you know, I even preferred the ABC Muppet show. Because it actually had story and character development, even though maybe people didn't like where the characters were going. You know, Fozzie Bear is dating and Kermit and Piggy are broken up. At least there was content. But with this, it's just like three minute bullshit things. And the Muppets used to be violent. They used to be, you know, they would blow up. They would shoot one another with arrows and guns and stuff like that. And there was monsters that were legitimately creepy. But with this, it's it's not hitting the mark. What did you find, Boris? What did you like or not like? <laughs> so there's a lot on the do not like list. Do not like list. What I did like was just seeing some of the characters that I remember as a kid. You know, it's cool. Having said that, Kermit's voice really tripped me out. Um, it, it was, did you watch all three episodes? No, I've only I only watched the first two. I haven't seen the third one just yet. Now, yeah. So, what I didn't like, conti- I'll continue on that one. So, yeah, what I did like was, like I said, that nostalgia factor. Nostalgia play is a hell of a thing, especially when it comes to like Muppets and things like that. Because when I was growing up, you know, late eighties, early nineties, I was the my first real interaction to the Muppets was their was their show but it was more the muppet babies so mm-hmm. you know um so yeah 
So Gonzo was always my favorite. And it's just fun finally being able to see these characters again. What I didn't like is exactly what you said. And I think it speaks more to society and how we can't concentrate for more than two or three minutes. And that's the production that this show has. Um, and that is that, it to me, there's no flow. To me, it's random two, three-minute skits that seem to be just yeah. put together into an episode. But there's no flow. There's no overarching story. Like, as you said, in the old, in the old Muppet show, the entire show, series, season, you know, there was a backstory. Every episode had their ongoing story where they interacted with the guest stars in such a way where you saw those backstage things. But here, we're just seeing the end product of stuff. And yeah, I don't know. It almost feels like they're producing this to break it up into stuff for the internet. That's... Like, it doesn't even feel like the cohesion. It just feels like Disney are going to produce this, and then it's all going to become Instagram stories. That's that was a, that was exactly what I was about to say. That that's exactly what it feels like, and it feels like they were just randomly filmed, and then editors are just picking stuff that they like and putting them into one it's episode. Scooter, it's not editors, it's scooters. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but so you know, like it just I don't know it it just it doesn't feel like the Muppets. It just does not feel like the Muppets. I see the Muppets, I can hear most of the Muppets. Not Kermit, but it just doesn't feel to me like what I grew up with watching, you know, the original Muppet show, watching Mu even Muppet Babies had a f more like story than this. I think I have the thread that pulls it all together for both of you, because I'm listening to a lot of your concerns and right. Like Kermit was always the Jim Henson stand in. And he always had a pretty big chip in his shoulder about corporate interests. Yep. Right? Like, he, he was always, I'm, he always viewed himself. And if you read his, his autobiographies on that, or people who talk about him, like, he viewed himself as, I'm the protector of the creative against those, those bad money men. I know where and, you're going with this. I mean, isn't, and, and the Muppet show was always about that, of, like, Phil said it was about the struggle of how do you make the thing you want to make when you always have to be worried about how am I paying rent? How am I keeping the lights on? And that was always the challenge and the fun of the Muppets. And, yeah. and like you said, we saw backstage and like they would get in. I want to say fights, but like they weren't just playing with kids gloves with the guests. Right. There was actual tension. Well, and one of, like, one of the last things they did is I remember they had Animal have, like, a drum off with, like, some band's drummer. And yeah. it wasn't... And, and I think that compares perfectly to the current Swedish chef bits, right? Of Animal, like, you were like, he might be a better drummer than this guy. And yeah, it's in part they're pulling the strings behind the scenes. But, like, Swedish chef is just such a so inoffensive to the guest right the guest mm -hmm. is never really challenged and i think that this just speaks to like yeah kermit is gone jim henson's gone and you i don't think i don't think disney can create what the muppets were because of their corporate interests and they're like they, they don't want to ruffle any feathers 
I think it's more to that. I think it's it's deeper than that. And I think it's the fact that Disney as a company, as this corporate giant, takes itself so serious that they have a property like the Muppets that they don't know how to have fun with it because the Muppets are Muppets are so anti corporation that the irony is that they are being owned by that corporation. So if you if if Disney were smart and if Disney didn't take itself so serious, I think this could be the ideal Muppet show where they were bought out by that big evil corporation. You know? And they're just trying to go ahead with it, trying to struggle with maintaining the show that they always had versus the show that, you know, the big evil corporate monster wants them to be. But Disney takes itself way too serious for that. Agreed. How good would it be? How good would it be of almost the same framing we have now and and talk about them having no budget and having Scooter and Kermit have to deal with and they won't use Mickey because Mickey's like all that's good and great about Disney, but like bring Phil back. How funny would that mm-hmm. be to have Phil from the old Mickey Mouse cartoons being like, well, you're over budget. We're going to have to let this person go. And each week they have to deal with whatever the challenge is. Exactly. You know what's funny? This is describing what ABC, which is owned by Disney, exactly oh, yeah. had in the Muppets. Yep. Like that yep. one season, one and done, you know, that wanted to be more. But basically they sat around. Tyler, you wouldn't believe this. They sat oh, around a table and talked about the fact that they really, you know, like there was there was guys coming down the suits would come down and say you're you're over budget and quite literally it was all about the tension between piggy and kermit not being together piggy had a talk show kermit was managing it and here's the part for me personally and i know i'm bringing this in as a stake um i know that jim wanted to sell it to disney regard you know he he had that deal done basically and then he passed away and then it fell apart so the kid selling it back to Disney or just a Muppet property doesn't really bother me as much as how they treated the guy who took over for Kermit. And that was Steve Whitmire. He he performed Kermit for 27 years after Jim's passing. And you know what? I'll bet you all of us are hard pressed to differentiate Kermit's voice change if there was any in that time. And yeah. now they've kicked that guy to the curb. Like he's literally producing uh, internet videos with like 400 views once a month. And the guy's like doing com like comic cons for autographs to make money. It's, yeah. it's actually quite shameful and I don't know exactly what went on, but I know that they were pinning him with changing Kermit, but here we are with a huge voice change for Kermit and people going, well, Kermit can evolve. Kermit can change to justify it. And I'm like, no, it's a freaking Muppet. It doesn't age. It's built. It should be the same Muppet all the way along. This is one spot where you don't complain about the aging of, of a cartoon or something like that. Or, you know, if they do it, they do it to advance the show. Yeah. And that's what it should all be about. And right now, I just find that it's really misdirected on all fronts. And they really actually did create the show that we that probably would be successful if they stuck to it. Yeah, like I said, the issue is Disney does not take itself, or Disney takes itself way too serious to do something like this, where they can portray themselves as that evil corporation. 
Yeah, and it rolls right into Star Wars and all this other stuff that they're mismanaging, all right? They they get the right people in on Marvel to get that casual audience, as we have all discussed, and they're doing the same thing with Star Wars now. They're trying to, you know, protect, like the rumors are, they're trying to, you know, uh, redo it, like like retcon those three episodes and, and stuff like that, just because they're so hypersensitive about the fact that it didn't work. Yep. And I'm like, just let it be. Give me something good. Put your energy into making quality stuff yep. and get the stick out of your ass. Like, well, speaking of I don't know, Disney getting Disney their Disney rant. <laughs> speaking of Disney getting their stick out of their ass, you know what I've been seeing on TV commercials for? Oh, I don't think I want to know what the commercial is of their sticks in people's butts. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Howard. Cowards! New, mut- <laughs> New Mutants. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've been seeing a lot of TV spots for New Mutants, August 28th. Yep. You can watch in your nearest Dank and Moist theater. Yep, with like uh, four other people. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Take so your $27 popcorn, everybody. Here's your... Uh, yep. Here's... <laughs> Oh my God, you guys! We've lost it. We've got him. The, the twenty-seven dollar popcorn was was it? That was the straw. Um, <laughs> didn't expect that to break, but okay. <laughs> Streaming services in the U.S. Are, fuck you guys! <laughs> I uh, don't know how we got them this good. Because I'm so tired today. That's how. Streaming oh, services. Can you shut up? I'm gonna mute you guys. <laughs> Streaming oh, good times. <laughs> Can I get this? Can I go into the actual news? We have like 10 minutes left. Streaming services in the US are a dime a dozen. And a recent study by stream tracking experts, Real Gold, revealed that Netflix has a 32% of the market share in the second quarter beating out Amazon, which has 25%, Hulu at 18.6%, Disney Plus... I don't even know what that number is. I don't even know. You mean you don't know what the number is? 6.1% and HBO Max 5.2%. Jesus Christ, my eyes are hurting. Okay. I can't um, follow lines. Okay, let me let me clarify this. Netflix thirty two, Amazon twenty five, Hulu eighteen point six, Disney plus six point one, HBO Max five point two. Okay. Is this dollars spent? No, this is market share. Yeah, but based upon based subscribers subscribers or money. Just subscribers. Yeah. Subscriber base. Wow. It's interesting that Disney Plus are that far back. HBO is that close. Yeah. Considering that service is like basically a lot more in the States um, as well. I also look at that and I think for how happy Disney is at the reception and how much they've been banging the drum that they've outgrown where they thought they'd be launching from exponentially. 
man, they had some really low targets. Yeah. Well, Netflix right now worldwide ha- um, has 182.9 million subscribers. That's 22.8% higher than the total this time last year. Thank you, COVID. Yeah, and we have to remember Hulu isn't available everywhere. Neither is HBO Max. And Disney took a long time to get in Europe. Yeah, that's the thing. So they were basically North America only. Amazon, I'm not not sure about Amazon being at 25%. Because you're not. Yeah, that's another weird one. Prime, Amazon Prime, you know, you get video as part of it so for me that's kind of like a i don't know i want to deep go a little deeper into these numbers i saw this article i wanted to bring it up but i kind of want to delve a little deeper because of all of those things that you mentioned um availability amazon skewing because well you know are you are you really subscribing to amazon prime for the videos or are you subscribing to amazon prime because you want your package later that day that's always been amazon's strategy though right yeah and it's not a bad to, strategy do you ever see them yeah. splitting that out uh, uh, what a what a good question uh, i i honestly i would expect them to down the road someday if they last to have like here's your fee to get into like the advanced amazon system and then you piecemeal all the bits of the advanced amazon system yeah and this or, is this is what apple's doing now right or they're making, you have oh yeah sorry they're doing apple one which will yeah. be a sub, one subscription for all of their services that's our next story so go ahead um I, I, I did want to jump back to Disney for a second because I hear what you're saying of like, Disney, what the fuck? Um, why are you slow? Because we already broke the F-bomb barrier this episode. Um, and, and I think what it is, is I think Disney's also, A, to their credit, they knew that they didn't have first mover advantage. They knew they were late to the game. So, you know, you look at all their plans and they were in for the long haul. They were like, this doesn't need to make money year two. We just were ready to fight this long term. Yeah. And they also recognize that, like, other than the vault and the Mandalorian, why would you get Disney Plus right now? Yeah, it it's got to be the lightest on content of any of my streaming services, right? Like, what the content that's there is good, but I don't really crave to watch twenty seasons of The Simpsons. It's you know, for me, it's more nostalgia than anything else. You get the nostalgia with Disney Plus. That's about it. You get for me. It's Star Wars and National Geographic. Yeah, to be honest, that was the gem for them. But even that content's running out for me. So, and Amazon, I don't know. Like, I'd be curious to know actual watched hours because I, I think exactly what you guys are saying. People buy it, they get it thrown in. Maybe they pop it on once in a while. But I've been showing it to my dad because. To be honest, there's a lot of westerns on there, and my father really likes westerns, and Netflix and them don't have a lot of that genre. And yet, all the John Wayne movies are on there and stuff like that. So, my yeah, dad Netflix sits down and watches it. You know who has a lot of Amazon westerns? Has a weird... Tubi. T U B Y. T U B I. Sorry. They. Right, yeah. that, it's a free streaming service, and you'd be shocked at what content they actually have. 
I am sometimes. Like, there's a lot of Kevin Smith stuff on there. Yeah. <laughs> Once in a while. Not I'm, dog, I'm kind of shocked. The one movie I really want to watch. Uh, so, I just put a number because we were curious. And waited for hours. Amazon's actually the second in the States. Wow. Amazon Prime. This is... Um, Sorry, I'm trying to make sure I have this very specifically. According to this Forbes piece, um, you know, Netflix has viewers and they're still number one. But according to this, Amazon has about 25% more than Hulu and about just under four times HBO now in the States. This is just in the States. And this is actual viewers, not... Hmm. I have Prime, I don't watch anything. And you do have to think, you know, with Amazon, they have the boys. They have a lot of good, like, single one or two season content, but they also have The Expanse. There's a lot of compelling yeah. stuff that's on there. That, that And there are they are getting more aggressive at getting movies, like yeah. actual big run yeah. movies, and exclusively featuring them on their account. So I have noticed a big change in how Amazon did did this but i know initially when i first signed up for prime to get the the expedited shipping or whatever the situation was um it was an app on my consoles that i had to pretend like my console was in the states in order to be able to watch amazon prime and it was pretty rough <laughs> I, I gotta say like i was like Ugh, okay it's free but you, like you said, got Expanse now. They've got Marvelous Miss Maisel, which is better than it has any right to be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the Canadian distributor for Fleabag, which also Fleabag, was yeah. like crazy good. Um, and they also like if you, if you delve into their back catalog, like they have cornered the market on non-Disney '80s family comedy. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is like a weird niche, but you go into it, and all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, I'd watch. The sister act again. You you know what? I watched uh, Parks and Rec. All, all the seasons of that. I did Same a here. binge watch on that for a few months. Yeah, they have that. They Just have because, that. you know, it's there. And I'm like, holy crap, what a great acquisition. They have Scrubs. They that? have Lost. They have a bunch of shows that Netflix used to have. So Amazon is really making a push. And with their all of their ex- um, Amazon exclusives, like The Boys, like Man in the High Castle, and so on and so forth. Um, all of this really took yeah. off when the Top Gear guys jumped ship to Amazon to make their new car show about things that go vroom vroom. So, good on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fair. So, yep. Cars so, do go vroom vroom. Cars go vroom vroom according to comic books. So, well, there's a, also a gentleman on on that vroom vroom show that <laughs> does like traveling. I watched him go to Japan. It was, it was actually really good on Amazon. This I enjoyed the it. Title of the Vroom Vroom episode, <laughs> or the one where Boris finally cracks. <laughs> no, we'll get uh, you. We'll uh, get you more than this. Get you worse than that. Come on. <laughs> so Come as Phil mentioned, as Phil mentioned, <laughs> Apple reportedly launching a subscription service bundle with new iPhones this October. So it's going to take Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, um, Apple Arcade, Apple News Plus, uh, the next tier of iCloud storage, 
and a new fitness subscription service from Apple all together. And they say that it's going to save you anywhere from 2 to $5 a month. Uh, this subscri- uh, fitness subscription service is going to offer virtual classes and workouts accessible via an iOS app and on Apple TV, similar to services from Nike and Peloton. Peloton? Peloton. Peloton. Yeah. It's a Peloton. Peloton. I'm a former cyclist. I know what that vroom, is. Vroom. Yeah. vroom vroom bikes, yeah. The vroom vroom bikes. So yeah, so you know, subscriptions and subscription services, again, more examples of how important they are to the ecosystem of a company. So we'll see what happens there. No word yet on price, but uh look for it this coming October. Anything you guys want to say to that? I'm hearing rumors that it might be out on Android too. Interesting. Just sure. so we know, because, you know, Apple Apple Music crosses genres. And this was a point that we brought up in the last special episode related to Apple. And I laughed at the Spotify thing because my take on Spotify is they, they hurt the music industry and how Spotify they did it. I know that it, if it wasn't them, Spotify is beautiful. They treat everybody yeah. with respect the same way that Amazon treats everybody with respect. All hail Spotify and Amazon. You can also listen to the It's Canon podcast on Spotify <laughs> and soon to be Amazon Music Podcasts and Audible. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I love Spotify. I just <laughs> thought it was funny about that. But the real issue is that you can buy Spotify on Apple Store. And Spotify loses 30% Apple, yeah. which is a direct competitor to them, which is why they were, you know, screaming from the rafters about, you know, Epic's lawsuit, because they are right there with that subscription. And I thought about all the people I know that use iOS that are subscribed to Spotify. And man, that's got to suck watching $3 every month of your 10. Yeah. Go right over to them. Yeah. Does so Microsoft- I, I'm. I'm not surprised to see Apple getting more and more into subscriptions, especially direct. Does Microsoft have a podcast service? Wasn't it Mixer? <laughs> I guess. I'm kidding. Hmm. I don't know. They'd deep six it if they did. Zune podcasts. Oh, yeah, Zune. I oh, forgot yeah. about Zune. How can you forget about Zune? Well... The world never even uh, knew Zune existed to begin with. I, I will tell you this week, I, I did something kind of funny in that there was a song that I was trying to find and I knew that I had it on an iPod Nano. And I I basically had to find the old charger, you know, the really wide one. Yeah. And charge the thing up so I could find the song because I knew it was still on there. And what a trip it is using an old iPod. Like I can imagine you can't, you can't even, the screen is so tiny. Yeah. Like I'm like, wow. And this was like breathtakingly amazing. I, I remember they sent me that iPod nano because I bought a first generation iPod nano. The one that was like a little thing with the, with the touch wheel and they recalled it. They said that it was going to blow up. So they gave me this, this little silver one. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really weird going back in time with some of those technologies. I'd love to play with the Zune. What I miss, and I want to get my, and I think I still have it at my parents' place. Remember the Sony Mini Discman? That Mini Discman. Yeah, I had one. I had. I think everyone had one. I think everyone between 
my age and your age, Tyler had one in some shape, way, or form. Yep. I'm on eBay, and Zunes are still like $200. Oh, my God. Who's buying Zunes? People who raise comic book prices 10 to 15. Or, you know, 10 to 15 times its original price. That's whom. Can you imagine if, like, Microsoft put some kind of software out that whenever you connect it to a computer, it zaps it and says, no, <laughs> forget it. It's not going to work. Like, bricks the device. So, like, Russian hackers? <laughs> yeah, basically. But I just think it's hilarious how these legacy devices are out there and they're such pains for these big companies, right? Where they're like, oh, please don't remember us for this. This was really bad. Um, I imagine there's a lot of Google stuff like that too. <laughs> Nintendo Virtual Boy. The Apple Newt. We should make a whole episode about where tech Newt went Glass. wrong. <laughs> Google Glass. <laughs> uh, remember the Google, like before they came out with Docs and everything, they had like that sharing apparatus, like uh, platform. Forget what that was called. It was, was before it Google Plus. Before Plus and Cloud came out, so like oh two thousand seven, eight, nine, or something like that. I don't know. It was such a wild journey as a, as a customer from the customer seat to watch these companies introduce and deregister product life cycles. You know, and and at what point does the corporation abandon something? You know, and like just as it starts to catch with you, it's like, oh, Google are pulling the plug on this. You know, yeah. I remember going out and buying a Daydream VR set for my Google Pixel 2 XL. And it's like, oh. that's gone now. I'm like, oh, my heart. Like, wow. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm keeping my Pixel 2 just so I can put it back in the headset because the headset is comfy. I'm like, it's like wearing a pillow. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's it's so like compared to the PlayStation one, it's that one's like it, it is comfy. The PlayStation VR is very good, but it feels like you're kind of a space cadet. So there's a <laughs> website called the Google Cemetery. I yep. love this thing. Google Cloud Print, Google Hangouts, Fabric, Google Hire, Google Clips, Translator Toolkit, Fusion Tables, G Suite Google Training, Hire. Google Trips, Cloud Messaging, Inbox by Google. Google Blog at Compass, Google Allo, Google Plus. Mr. <laughs> this Allo. is my favorite one. Mr. Jingles. God damn it. Google Goggles, Android Nearby, Tez, Chrome Apps, News and Weather, Reply, Google Tango, Hands Free, Project Aura. What else? Picasa. Google Code, Hangouts on Air, Freebase, MyTracks, Google Now, Google Maps Engine, all these things. Google Nexus, G Drive hosting. Remember Songza? Songza was a oh thing. Quick Office, oh, uh, I forgot about Chrome Frame, Google Reader, Google Google Currents. That was a thing. Google Jaiku. Sounds like a Star Wars planet. Google Sky Map. Go Google Wave. That's the one. 
Yeah, there it is. Google Wave. I remember. I was going to keep naming them until I found it. Yes, I am going to spend my podcast and our listeners' time trying to fulfill something that I need to know right now. That's the type of episode we're having. Hey, it's all good, right? Oh my god, I've literally turned into every podcast I hate. Well, the great thing is, podcasts, <laughs> the people are listening while they're doing other stuff, too. Oh. So they're having a productive day. <laughs> I think if you're listening you, to You, our... on the other hand. <laughs> I think if you're listening to our podcast, you're not having a productive day. And, t- Phil, you can tell our listeners where they can find us. <laughs> hey, you can find us at www.itscanonpodcast.com. You can... Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. And you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, anywhere that you find, you know, basically podcasts and maybe even Amazon soon. And if you like what you hear so far, make sure you never miss an, uh, miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. And uh, it's made possible by listeners like you. So thank you so much for tuning in. That's right. We talked about nothing and everything because that's what we do here on the It's Cannon Podcast. I'm Boris. He's Phil. He's Tyler. Goodbye. And we lost all our listeners.